<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Before we get into our podcast today, we have a very special, special ad read. And we want to remind you that UVA did beat Tech yesterday. Our guys were shooting straight. And if you need help shooting straight, you should try Blue Chew. Remember the days when you were ready to go. Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know that they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast, so you can always be ready to go. If you could benefit from extra function and more confidence where it counts, Blue Chew is the fast and easy way to enhance your performance. Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com to get your first shipment for free when you use our special promo code ARMCHAIR. Just pay $5 in shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-CHEW.com with the promo code ARMCHAIR to try it for free. It is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the Guys and Ties podcast. UVA football is the softest bunch of cream puffs, bow tie wearing, brie cheese eating, NASCAR wearing wussies I've ever seen in my life. I'm going to punch people from UVA right in the neck. They wear suits to games. <laughs> That's absurd. All right, everybody, welcome back. Robert here along with Dustin, and it's a new year. It's 2020, and we're pretty happy, man. We're pretty, it's been, it's been a good past couple of weeks. It's been a good couple of weeks if you're a UVA fan. And, you know, even, we're going to talk about this later, but even though, you know, we didn't win the Orange Bowl, I think a lot of people were surprised by the performance that we gave. And I think we showed out. And I think I'm really, really proud of how the football team played in that performance yeah and the basketball team just beat tech and uh, on, on saturday yeah on saturday so we'll we'll dive into that as well but yeah let's start with football man because there's a lot on my mind with football still we got and, the playoffs going on yeah it's great playoffs going on Ro- rob's NFL, red college rob's redskins just got the number two pick chase young he thinks they're cha- taking chase young we better take chase young i hope we need to cha- take I, chase something young. something's gonna happen and you will be heartbroken again it's typically how it goes. Do you have hope? Do you like Ron Rivera? I, I love Ron Rivera. I love Jack Del Rio. Mm-hmm. I love no Bruce Allen. So things could be good. 4-3 defense. Top 10 defensive line easily right yeah. now. I'm excited. You know, I'm spe- excited. Speaking of hope, we actually had a lot of hope in the Orange Bowl game against Florida. And I want to dive into that. And I want your, just right off the bat, your kind of overall opinion of the game. You were there. Yeah. How was, was the awesome. atmosphere? It was awesome. It felt like big time college football. Yeah. It uh it was definitely more Florida people there than UVA, probably seventy thirty would be my guess. But yeah, I mean it was an awesome experience. You go there and you see the big time tailgating, the big time stadium, you know, the four screens in the stadium instead mm-hmm. of just one jumbotron. You know, it felt like real football. It was really cool. It was the first like big time college football experience. Like it's the closest to it I've had. It felt awesome. It was great being there. And I heard it looked awesome on TV, too. Yeah, it, I mean, the crowd was pretty full, and, you know, we couldn't really hear the UVA vans, but, <laughs> I mean, it was a, it, it looked like a fun time. And I, I'm really proud of the team for playing as well as they did. You know, of course, we, there were still mistakes that we made, and we can get into those later, but I, I think that we played probably as well as we could have. Or, or, or were expected to. We played much better than a lot of people gave us credit for. We beat the spread very handily. Um, so 
I, I thought it was a great showing, and I, I think that a lot of people were surprised by that. Yeah, I mean, that's what you work for, too. Like, obviously, 9-3 and three regular season was great, and, you know, we lost badly against Clemson, although hopefully everyone has realized how good Clemson is by now. Mm-hmm. But that's why you want to, like, keep winning those games and get those opportunities, even if they're going to be hard. I would much rather play a team like Florida and have the opportunity to put up a fight in a big-time college football game where the literally the entire world is watching. You know, there wasn't any other college football games on at that time. Right. You see that happen. You see us put up a good fight, and, you know, you learn from that. And we, and, had, and we had a chance to win that game. We had yeah. many chances that if, if a call or two go the other way or if Florida doesn't fake so many injuries, we, we have a very good chance of winning that game. Well, that and was... It's very... You know, and that, and that I've still been trying to process that because we we lost by eight. We had a chance to recover an onside kick at the very end, and a couple more calls go. As I said, the other one, we'll talk about the fumble. We'll talk about the the interceptions, uh, Bryce's overthrown passes. But we were in that game until the last couple seconds. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, when I was leaving the stadium. I was disappointed. Obviously, we didn't win. I don't think I've ever left the stadium feeling good after a loss. Yeah, but, there's no like moral victories. Yeah, but you knew, you know, we put up a fight. We did, you know, more than what most people expected, and you know, I was content. You know, I'm I'm not losing any sleep over the Orange Bowl. But what I did, oh god, it was maybe Thursday night, Wednesday night. I don't mm-hmm. remember, but I remember thinking I should have gone to bed earlier. But I got caught <laughs> up and I started watching uh, some highlights of the game and. I didn't watch the full game, but I watched the extended highlights. It was like 15 minutes of Mm -hmm. most of the big, most of the important plays. And it kind of reinforced just in more detail kind of what I think we saw on the field, you know, Mm -hmm. live. And it was a performance where the coaches had an excellent game plan. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it almost worked. If we had the players that we had to start the season, especially defensively, Mm -hmm. you know, that very easily could have been a game that Virginia won. and. You know, you look at some of these touchdowns, the LaMichael P. Ryan ones especially, mm-hmm. and the first one, that 60-yarder on the first play or first drive of the game, and, you know, you wish you could have that back yeah. because we played from behind the whole game because mm-hmm. of that. But you look at that, our guy slipped and fell, Devontae Cross that opened the hole, boom. But Devontae Cross doesn't slip and fall, that hole's fell, that's probably a five-yard gain yeah. that turns into a 60-yard gain. There were several and not, plays. not to mention that that Trask had just thrown an awful ball that should have been intercepted yeah. the, the play before. Yeah. So there there's so many of these moments that that could have gone the other way and let's go through some of them just so that we can make UVA fans infuriated <laughs> and and really believe that we had a chance to win that game. Well, we did have a chance to win that game. No, well, yeah, I know, but like like yeah. <laughs> so, that they, so that we think about it more and get frustrated. Yeah. Well, obviously you have that one. Um Another one that stands out to me, would a play I really wish we could have had back, and mm-hmm. a play where we don't just miss the Bryce Halls, the Darius Braddens in coverage, but also against the run, was that fourth down play. Yeah. That fourth yes. and one, and they run the option left, and Noah Taylor holds his gap, forces Trask to pitch the ball, and Nick Grant, like, God bless him, he did all he could on that play, and it, it was, was a one-yard gain. But you have to wonder if a guy like Bryce Hall, mm-hmm. who's got 20 pounds on him, bigger frame, who's so good against the run, you know, makes that stop. Or right e- even if, if Jordan Mack plays, yeah, like, d- and does that change anything? Well, Jordan Mack plays, LaMichael P. Ryan probably doesn't get that 60-yard touchdown. Yep. He probably doesn't get a second touchdown mm-hmm. run. You also think about the secondary. You know, Devontae Cross, they went with size in the secondary. Mm-hmm. They wanted to go uh, with the more physical presence. That's why we put Devontae Cross on the outside while we played Chris Moore at safety. And we didn't really play sub packages. I don't remember any nickel packages that I saw. I probably mm-hmm. missed some, but there weren't really wasn't really a true nickel package. And you know, I think our best coverage group is probably Devontae Cross at safety, and Heskin Smith would have been at corner. Mm-hmm. But they wanted to go physical, and you know, Devontae Cross he wasn't really burned, you know, from a coverage standpoint. But you know, he's the one who slipped and fell down on P Ryan's first run. He didn't tackle P Ryan on the second uh, touchdown. He had the reception. Mm-hmm. You know. Is one of those things that Broncos said is, you know, as they went through the game, things started to tighten up. You know, you have true freshman Nick Jackson there playing the middle, and, you know, he started to tighten things up as well in the second half. But there were just a couple plays where it's like, oh, if you don't fall down there, oh, if you know, you make that tackle, you know, things could have been different. And we really were not that far away from it. And mm-hmm. that's really what I put together. That's what I felt watching the game. But when you're actually able to look at it play by play, 
on some of these bigger plays and you see, oh, that guy was just out of position or, oh, we were an inch away there, you know, you start to think, oh, maybe if half our defense wasn't hurt, you know, what could have happened? And we were so close. And, you know, it might not look like that, you know, 36 points to Florida, you know, by far the Michael P. Ryan's best performance of the season, Mm -hmm. rushing and receiving. But we were really, really close. And Bronco's whole thing is, you know, he's of the Bill Belichick mindset that, you know, a couple plays decide the outcome of each game. Each game comes down to just a few plays. And defensively, absolutely, that was the case. And even offensively, man, Bryce Perkins played an incredible game. But, you know, if he hits that deep ball to Dubois, that's a touchdown. Mm -hmm. If, you know, obviously you have to talk about the fake injury that happened before the interception. But that interception doesn't happen. That's at least a field goal. That's a 10-point swing. So, you know, there were plays offensively. And we can't go too far with that because Bryce made an incredible play on the first touchdown to Hasiz. I'll tell you, that long ball to Terrell Janna on the last drive. Beautiful. The touchdown one was great at the beginning on the mm-hmm. first drive of the game. The second one, I swear that was the best play, you know, as far as like an NFL type play that I've seen Bryce Perkins ever make. Mm-hmm. I mean, the way he just sidestepped that defender in the pocket, unleashed a 50-yard dime. Mm-hmm. That was inc- that was Lamar Jackson-esque, yeah. what happened there. So we were close, man. We were close. Uh, do you think that Bryce gets a shot at the NFL after his performance? I hope so. Because I, because there's so many things that he did really well. Like he played excellent against a really good Florida defense. Um he only had 24 yards rushing on 14 attempts, which is not, you know, great. He didn't have any touchdowns he, on the ground. However, he did have four touchdowns in the air. He had 323 yards passing, which was the most against this Florida team all season. And he just did a really good job against this secondary a really good secondary as well now to be fair they were missing their best player who decided Mm -hmm. to sit out however there's still a good defense and and he did a really good job of tearing them apart yeah he he was surgical he was 28 for 40 8 8.1 yard average one that one interception coming on a bad read you know right unfortunately right at the end of the game but but he did all he could to keep us in the game and that play where he hurled a guy and then stiff-armed another Florida defender and threw a perfectly placed ball to Hasis Dubois was incredible. It was wild. It was an insane play. And he put it where only Hasis could get it, and he got in that position in the first place. Like that, Hurdling a guy and then stiff-arming another defender who's coming right at you and then throwing a ball under pressure like that was insane. It was an yeah. insane play. I mean, NFL-wise, the college football world loves Bryce Perkins. Right. Everyone who covers the game talks about Bryce Perkins, as they should. When you're watching UVA football the past two seasons, it's been all about Bryce it's all Perkins. Bryce. And you talk about, you know, we have to give some credit to Robert and I as well, but, you know, the past two seasons we've had uh, two 1,000-yard uh, receivers. In program history before the past two seasons, there were only two seasons like that before. And we've had those uh, each of the past two seasons with Alamade Zacchaeus and Cease Dubois. I think between Joe Reed, Terrell Jana, and Cease Dubois, all of them caught at least 74 balls. I mean, it's not, you know, this crazy air raid type attack, but it's pretty close to it, what we've been doing the past uh, two years and the second half of this year, especially. Mm-hmm. When you look at the NFL, you know, I think Lamar Jackson is going to do a world of good for Bryce Perkins' yeah. NFL shot. That, and that's what I was thinking because, you know, teams are looking at Lamar Jackson and saying, hey, if we can run the offense like the Ravens this season, we're going to, we can, you know, really compete at a higher level. Mm-hmm. And so I think you're going to start to see a lot more dual threat quarterbacks get a chance to really, you know, shine. Yeah. And, and Bryce Perkins, I think, you know, he's really stepped up his passing this season as well. He's accurate. He's got a lot more power. And he's still a great runner. Yeah. Still great, elusive in the pocket. So we'll see if he gets a shot. Yeah. One thing we do have to say is Lamar Jackson is kind of next level. Yeah. He was a great passer in college. And mm-hmm. uh, thankfully, the Ravens actually saw that. He's he, also a bit more faster, elusive, a bit more dynamic, I'd say, in the run game. Yeah, probably. But, you know, having, um, you know, that type of mindset out there i mean you look at how the ravens have structured their offense they have lamar jackson as the starter and rg3 as the backup 
I don't know if Bryce Perkins is an NFL quarterback. I don't think he can make all the throws the NFL teams are going to ask him to make. But he's the type of guy that if he gets, I don't think he's drafted, but if he gets signed as an undrafted free agent or mm-hmm. gets even just a tryout at these mini camps, you know, he might have a shot. And, you know, you look at another Bronco Hall quarterback, Taysom Hill. You know, Bryce doesn't fit the mold of kind of running another position. You know, mm-hmm. I think he runs like a 4-5, four, 4-6 four, type 40. He's fast, but not kind not, of elite not elu- speed not elusive. fast. Yeah, yeah, he's not really elusive. He's not the quickest guy in the world. But, you know, Taysom Hill carved out a role in the NFL. Mm-hmm. We'll see if Bryce can. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see this draft because you got hopefully Bryce Hall going pretty high, Jordan Mack. You know, remains to be seen about Joe Reed and Hassis Dubois, both of them have shots to get drafted oh i bet i bet hasis will get at least a undrafted rookie deal yeah yeah and joe reed has played i was reading a athletic article a week or two ago and they talked about both of those and they Mm -hmm. said you know joe reed has definitely put himself in the draft bowl conversation just because of his return ability his return ability and some people see him more as a running back some people see him at receiver but he's very versatile and cease dubois has you know terrific hands i think you know, the most recent comparison I can think of him was uh, Kelvin Harmon, who's on the Redskins now, mm-hmm. but he was at NC State. They drafted him sixth round, and, you know, he had a good rookie season for the Redskins. He's not the most elusive, dynamic player, but he's got strong, strong hands, you know, kind of in the Anquan Bolden mold, mm-hmm. and, you know, there's places for those guys in the NFL. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, overall, man, you know, the Orange Bowl, it really capped a season where... <laughs> there were some up and downs at the beginning, but yeah, for sure. a lot of ups towards the end. That and Miami loss, it looks worse every every day. And it's kind of funny. Miami apparently made, I don't know how serious it was, but they asked to interview Robert yeah. and I for the offensive coordinator position I, after that nine-point performance. But they didn't actually interview him. No, I don't think they did. They hired the guy out of uh, yeah, SMU. Yeah, I, I saw that. So, but yeah, man, it was it was a great season. And, you know, if you look at kind of how this season unfolded, we knew it was going to be a lot about Bryce Perkins, and it absolutely was in the second half of the season. You know, we never really found out what his knee injury was, mm-hmm. but that clearly played a role, um, you know, in the first half of the season playing with the brace. He yeah. clearly wasn't himself, and the way he, you know, kind of settled in as a passer, the offensive line never found a ground attack, and we can talk about that in a second because yeah. I think that's going to be important for next yeah. year, but the way once Bryce Perkins got his legs back, once Brennan Armstrong came back as the backup quarterback, you know, Bryce Perkins became the run game and he was obviously leading the passing attack too. I mean, this was the season of Bryce Perkins Mm -hmm. and the way they were able to transition from really a defensive led team in the first half of the season, sustain those injuries. And then, you know, when things look like they really could have unraveled starting with that North Carolina game and how the offense just came out it just clicked and i and i said all right i'm gonna show people that i'm actually good yeah stop saying (laughs) stop 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 wanting me to get fired yeah (laughs) but but in all honesty i think you know and i did a great job uh something changed and he just kind of let bryce do his thing he he was able to stop you know having these long developed plays that you know were kind of haunting us at the beginning of the season really went away from the power rushing game Mm -hmm. um kind of at all costs and also gave Bryce Perkins the opportunity to make plays with his feet and also with his arm and put our really talented wide receivers in positions to make plays as well. We, we saw Joe Reed get more involved in the passing game. We saw Jana get way more involved in the passing game. He's in the one of the half best of the scores of the season. He Jana. is, yeah. And, and, you know, at the beginning of this season, we were unsure of what our receiving core was going to look like next season, but we've got... Our number one, Jana, for sure, who is uh, seems to be a really, really solid receiver now. And he, he's, you know, looking even back to last year where he wasn't playing much, but we saw some talent there. And this season, he's really blossomed as a really good receiver. Yeah, I mean, his big thing last year was, I remember he only had like 10 or 11 catches uh, in 2018. But I remember it was the second to last game of the season against Georgia Tech and that game-tying two-minute drill. He had Mm -hmm. like three catches, I want to say, on that drive. I was like, all right, there's something here with Jana. Like Perkins obviously trusts Jana, and Jana apparently emerged as one of the leaders in spring ball before the season and obviously did great things this year. I mean, way, way exceeded my expectations. Right. You know, he was a great story, and he's going to be someone that's going to be counted on heavily next year. And the question next year will be in a senior season, can he be counted on to be kind of a true number one threat and mm-hmm. you know you have a guy kind of 
waiting in the wings with Dontavian Wicks, who looks really, really good, you know, who has that ceiling that I think, you know, you want out of a true number one receiver. But Jana's going to be the proven guy. And receivers next year, you know, obviously they outperformed expectations this year. You know, turns out we had some really good receivers in that room that just weren't getting the opportunities with a guy mm-hmm. like Alameda Sakias in the fold. But yeah. next year is going to be really, really big for Jana to continue. Dontavian Wicks to step up. You look at a Tavares Kelly, a Billy Kemp, you know, they're obviously going to have to bring their games to the next level. Although Billy Kemp really did take a step forward towards he the did. beginning of the year. So, so we're, so you're getting ahead, and we're we're going to talk about um, next year in a little bit. I do want to bring up one more thing about the Orange Bowl before we get any farther, and that was the fumble that the phantom fumble that didn't happen according to the refs, but I really thought it was a fumble where uh, Kyle Trask land, seemed to drop the ball before he touched the ground, but it was ruled not a fumble on the field, and it was... Uh, the play stood as called after a, a review. Rob, did you watch the fumble? I did, and I saw it live. And live, I understood why they didn't overturn it. Right. They're just—it was tough to see on the field. When I saw the replay, when I saw the highlights after the game, that was one of the things I noticed. There were two big things. One was, you know, didn't know there were snipers in the building taking yeah. out that fake injury. Right. But uh, the second thing was the fumble, and it probably was a fumble. Mm-hmm. I, I'm. You know, I think they scored a touchdown on that drive, yeah. but you know, it is what it is. It wasn't super, super clear. I think some guy's arm or leg was in the way of the replay, so yeah. you couldn't see one hundred percent. It probably was a fumble, but you know, it's just one of those plays you're gonna have to live with. So, yeah, it was disappointing, but um, it kind of reminded me of the Tech fumble in twenty eighteen, yeah. yeah. where they said Bryce fumble. What was that one exactly? I remember Ooh. it was controversial. Like he. They, he they was couldn't de- really see, but yeah. But anyway, it was weird. Anyway, you know, you do what you can with it. I I thought it was a fumble as soon as it happened. Yeah, and then I rewatched the replay and knew I was correct. <laughs> but the refs, <laughs> the refs had other things to say. Um, but let's move on. We're going to talk about the future. So after the Orange Bowl, I feel like you know a little bit more confident about some of our younger players, uh, players like Jana, like you were talking about. Well, Jana will be a senior, yeah. which is kind of crazy. Yeah, but. and um, also Noah Taylor had a great Orange Bowl, and yep. he'll be back next season as well. So, what what are some who are some people that next year we've already spoken about a couple who you're looking forward to seeing getting more playing time and seeing how they develop into next year? Yeah, I mean, to me, and you know, David Teal, Daily Press had a terrific article about this a couple of days ago about looking ahead to UVA football next year and. It's going to be a different ACC landscape. You know, the way North Carolina dominated their bowl game, they're going to be one of the coastal favorites. Mm -hmm. Tech returns all but one starter, I think. So Tech is going to be in the mix as well. So the question is, how does Virginia fit in? Mm -hmm. And to me, it's not as much about players as it is about scheme, especially Mm -hmm. offensively, because the offense is going to have to change next season. You know, we... It was interesting. To start the season, we did a lot of rotating receivers. You know, it seemed like it was almost forced like based on the personnel you could kind of tell you know what type of play they were going to run and it was different in the orange bowl the orange bowl we ran essentially the same five skill players it was reed dubois Jana, Callie, and talapapa pretty much every play and of those guys three of them aren't going to be back and reed dubois and Callie. so it's really going to have to change and you know one nugget that david teal dug up from his press or from his article was really we didn't have a run game this season we all knew it and part of it was the offensive line wasn't ready you know it was shuffling a little bit throughout the season um and you know we lost a thousand yard rusher in jordan ellis who wasn't sexy by any means but he was able to fall forward and get the job done did he need some blue chew no (laughs) no comment (laughs) um but you know, we didn't have that this year. And Wayne Talapapa, what David Teal wrote in his article, which shocked me, Wayne Talapapa had one run this season mm-hmm. that was over 20 yards. It yeah. was a 31-yarder against Duke. I believe it. The guy had one run that was greater than 20 yards. And he was our lead back. He had 116 carries. And, you know, he kind of had that nose for the end zone. It was a little bit uh, Wally Lundy-esque yeah. as far as, you know, if he was on the one-yard line, he pretty much was always going to get in. Mm-hmm. But... You know, there wasn't any consistency out of him the rest of the season. And our run game was Bryce Perkins. Bryce Perkins was carrying the ball just as many, if not more, times 
than Wayne Talapapa pretty much every game. And so you look ahead to next season, and obviously we got to talk about the receivers, how we're going to replace those, and who's going to step up. But one thing that really concerns me is the running game or lack thereof, and in particular, the lack of speed that's going to be in that backfield. Mm -hmm. The big thing I look at is that Bryce Perkins was fast. He was elusive. He was powerful. He was all you could ask for in a college quarterback. He is fits the mold perfectly of what you want in a college quarterback. But looking ahead next year, Brennan Armstrong, I think he has a higher ceiling as a passer, but he's not going to deliver in the same way Bryce Perkins did in the run game. Right. And, you know, we keep talking about, and what Broncos says is that it's going to, the offense is going to change. It's going to be more in the Taysom Hill mold. Taysom Hill ran a 4 4 40. Straight line, Taysom Hill was just as fast, if not faster, than Bryce Perkins. I don't think Brennan has that speed. So Brennan's going to be more of a battering ram type of guy. You know, you look at the plays that BYU ran with Taysom Hill, they pretty much all draw plays. So it was really a power scheme. It wasn't as much outside the tackles. That's going to be a lot of what it is with Brennan. But Brennan, he's not a 4 4 guy, he's not a 4 5 guy. And, you know, our running back, Wayne Talapapa, could not get any explosive carries last year. You know, next year, the question is going to be, are there any explosive plays coming from the backfield? And that was a big turning point for the offense starting against the UNC game is Bryce Perkins starting getting chunk plays on the ground again. Mm -hmm. Brennan is going to be consistent, I think, but he's not going to get these big chunk plays. And if Wayne Talapapa can't get these big chunk plays, then who is? Yeah. So that, to me, is my biggest concern next year, this running game, where it's going to go. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. You know, do we talk about Mike Collins? Do we talk about Atkins or Millage getting involved? But something's going to have to change next yeah, year. Yeah, the, the only thing I would I would add to that is Mike Collins, as you said. And, you know, just looking at his rushing stats over the course of the year, he had 21 carries, 112 yards, uh, 5.3 average carry now he did have that one costly fumble in the Miami game he really didn't see any action any like real action after that game which was unfortunate because he seemed to have turned a corner and the coaches all said that he was ready to make a bigger impact and then he gets one carry in the Miami game fumbles it all like in the in the red zone really unfortunate for him because he was doing super well and seemed like the coaches were willing to give him more playing time uh, because he was, you know, getting over his fumble problems. However, that wasn't the case. And so hopefully next year, you know, he's going to be a sophomore next year. He'll be more confident with the ball and he'll be able to make those plays where the coaches can actually trust him. Now, of course, Talapapa comes back. And I, I do like Wayne as a rusher, you know, 4.1 yards a carry, uh, only a 31 long, as you said, but 12 touchdowns on the year. That's more than Bryce. So he had a nose for the end zone, was able to wiggle his way in. Really good in short yard situations, for sure. But I, I and once again, I think it has to go back to the offensive line, just based that they weren't ready for this season. And hopefully next season, you know, we're going to get more out of some of those guys like Swoboda, who, you know, we've had issues with all season, but seemed to play really well in the Orange Bowl in in spot spot minutes and you know i think we're gonna see what we get with our with the other running backs as well yeah and another thing is we're not graduating any uh, offensive linemen which is good yeah um one offensive lineman he's a walk-on ben trent he just entered the transfer portal um but another thing that happened is the alex gellerstead injury the penn state transfer and tackle so he's gonna play in to this um this conversation a bit as well so you know, also, I guess, so the offensive line hopefully will be better. You know, we'll see kind of how much better, but hopefully more consistent and there'll be more depth. You know, Quay Hubbard keeping his red shirt is a big thing. So, and then, you know, you look at receivers. We've already talked about receivers a little bit. You know, there was a lot of momentum with the UCLA transfer. I'm not sure that's going to happen anymore. Mm-hmm. We've lost a lot of momentum there. It looks like he's considering Oklahoma most heavily now, which who can blame him? I'd want to play in Lincoln Riley's offense too. Yeah. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of changes on the offense. The design is going to have to change, you know, how we're honestly, I think the offense might look a little closer to what it was in 2017 with Kurt Benkert, mm-hmm. you know, Kurt Benkert, we didn't have, there's going to be a lot of quarterback runs. The quarterback's going to play in the run game, but as far as how the passing attack Just is designed, swinging. I think it's going to be more of that mold than what we've seen uh, with Bryce Perkins. Yeah, I'm but, fine with that. 
you know, it, we're just going to have to see how it works because Brennan Armstrong, he's flash potential, but Bryce Perkins was all we wanted and more. Is he, is his arm strong? Uh, Brennan's got a great arm. Now I get what you're saying. Now I get what you're saying. I'm sorry. I'm a little behind. I'm a little behind. Uh, (laughs) You know, I'm making Bluetooth jokes. I'm making Armstrong jokes. We're doing good here. Yeah. But hey, hey, I I, I do do think that he has a good arm just based on what we've seen from him this season. Accurate in spot throws. And he'll be a junior next season, right? Or a sophomore? Uh, Redshirt sophomore. So he'll have three years left, which would be nice. Yeah. and then, you know, kind of one more before you switch to defense, one more kind of underlying storyline on offense, I'll say, is the backup quarterback. And Bronco mm-hmm. has said that's an area they're considering transfers at. And what they really want to see is whether a guy like R.J. Harvey can really be the backup to Brennan next year. Because you yeah. look at, you know, this year Brennan was the backup. You know, it really looks like Lindell Stone is kind of settling into his role, you know, kind of the Reed Kellum role of the coach mm-hmm. on the sideline. I don't think they're really considering him as a legit backup option. And I think he's okay. It seems like he's okay with that. Yeah, so that leaves us with the quarterback on on the roster. You know, Luke Wentz, who came in in the same class mm-hmm. as uh, R.J. Harvey. Luke Wentz has changed positions. I think he's either at receiver or tight end now. I think he's a tight end. But he's changed positions. And so that leaves you really with R.J. Harvey as the backup and Ira Armstead, the incoming, the incoming freshman. freshman, who yeah. is enrolling early, but I don't think He's, you know, honestly the lowest rated player in this recruiting class. The staff is really high on him. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we saw with Lindell Stone, you know, different type of quarterback, but it's normally not the best thing to have a true freshman as your backup. Right. RJ Harvey will be a redshirt freshman. But, you know, he's very small. He's 5'9. You know, can he run the offense? Does he have a handle on it? So, it's like a Hagens type. Yeah, for real. <laughs> Even though I think Hagens was actually bigger. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that'll be a storyline to watch out of spring practice. They're probably not going to bring in a transfer before spring practice because they want to see how rj harvey does but mm-hmm. that'll be a storyline to watch is are we going to pursue a transfer quarterback and you know the thing about ira armstead too he's got a bryce perkins kind of body already and he definitely looks like he has a body that can be built up a little bit more as well um really good stats in high school but he played in a bad league i think like mm-hmm. i think he was in like a bad football and his team didn't win no either no but he but he's got he's got the build he's got the look and he's six five which is huge and he can run so i think the staff is hopeful that maybe after a couple of years of sitting behind brennan he'll be able to take over after he leaves yeah and that i think that's the hope with them yeah i think absolutely that's the case and you know they actually already have a quarterback in the class of 2021 um there were two players one just decommitted so he's currently the only recruit in that class but uh jay wolfolk i think is his name mm-hmm. but he's out of uh he's an in-state guy dual threat type guy so obviously they're going after you know their mold of quarterback yeah but switching over to defense the defense doesn't have nearly the turnover and the question marks that the offense will next season mm-hmm. the defense you know uh richard bernie is going to return for a sixth year pending approval which i'm sure he's going to get so really the only person you lose on the defensive line is Eli Hamback. Mm-hmm. You know, you bring a guy back like Jawan Briggs, uh, you know, a Ben Smiley who was able to redshirt, Aaron Famui, Manny Alonso for sure. You know, there's going to be a lot of depth there. It's going to be pretty similar to what we saw this year. Linebacker, you know, you're going to lose Jordan Mack, which is unfortunate. But we've also played without Jordan we, Mack We played without games. it. I was just about to say, we haven't had him for many of much of this year. Yeah, and, you know, hopefully we bring back Rob Snyder, fully healthy, poor guys, a solid player, the exact type, I wouldn't say starter, but I would say he's the exact type of backup linebacker you want, really experienced, really mm-hmm. smart, knows what he's doing. There's not a huge drop-off, um, so hopefully he's back healthy. Nick Jackson's coming back. And the staff loves Nick Jackson. And he played, you know, he, he made a couple mistakes this year and some big ones as well in the Orange Bowl, missed a couple tackles, but he also played really, really solid, and he will do well for for some off-season workouts and some more training, uh, getting bigger, learning the defense a little bit more, getting used to the speed of the game. Uh, he played really well, and I'm excited to see what he has in the store for his sophomore season. Yeah, and I'll tell you, just watching him move on the field, he really does remind me of a Micah Kaiser-type linebacker. Mm-hmm. I think he could be really good. And, yeah. you know, we didn't play many true freshmen this year, but he was one of the few that played, and I yeah. think that says something. Yeah. Did and, you mention Noah Taylor already? No, but he'll be—him and Charles Snowden's going to be— a, amazing outside linebacker you think, combo you think snowden comes back for sure for sure yeah he's already said he will okay. and i just oh, don't I think he has that. any legit 
I think he has the ability to raise his stock pretty significantly. He's the type of guy yeah. that's still, you know, he gets his sacks here and there. And same with Noah Taylor. Part of it is because they're dropping into coverage a lot mm-hmm. more without having a true nickel set as yeah. we had the last half of the season. But yeah, six uh, seven snow isn't playing the nickel. Yeah, <laughs> it's still funny. Like even the Orange Bowl announcers were commenting on it. Like, yeah. look at this. Look at this matchup. I mean, it's really a testament to their athleticism. Yeah. But Outside linebackers in the NFL get paid for sacks, and yeah. that's still an area of his game he needs to develop mm-hmm. further. And then kind of looking at the secondary, you know, you lose Bryce Hall, but the type of guys you're getting back, you know, hopefully Darius Braden after his ACL injury, you know, a fully healthy Brendan Nelson, Joey Blunt will be back, Devontae Cross, Chris Moore will also be back. All four of those guys are going to be seniors next year. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be tremendous experience and depth at safety. And then at corner, you know, Nick Jackson or um, uh, Nick Grant, excuse me, he's mm-hmm. back um, after, you know, not an All-American type season by any stretch, but really exceeding expectations. A really solid type season. season. Really and solid that play season. he had in the Orange Bowl, that interception was an incredible play. He, and that he, interception. He did drop another easy he interception. He did, though. He did do that. Um, so, you know, you live and die. You get both edges of the sword yeah. with him. But, yeah. Um, you know, and you know, hopefully there's a, we've brought in a lot of guys in the secondary in the past couple of classes and some of them we forget about, but Jalen Baker has tremendous size. He's a guy that played a little bit and got burnt pretty bad against North Carolina. We didn't really see him afterwards, but Mm -hmm. he's a guy that can factor in at some point, you know, you have a Heskin Smith type player, you know, I really like the secondary players we're bringing in, in this freshman class, you know, a Donovan Johnson, a, um, Elijah Gaines, both of those guys are probably going to project at safety. But, you know, we've been bringing in guys. Heskin Smith, we need to talk about him. He played really admirably this, um, you know, the last couple of games of the season coming back from a knee surgery mm-hmm. that they just had to put him on the field because they had no one else. Um, you know, talk about a guy like Darnell Pratt. He switched from receiver to corner during uh, the season, and he played a lot on special teams. Um, Unfortunately, we lose Jermaine Crowell to injury. Um, concussions have ended his career. Yeah. So, but regardless, there's guys kind of waiting in the wings there that you know kind of get overlooked because we've had the talent in the secondary in the past few seasons. But there'll be guys, especially at corner, that we're going to look to make plays. So, and you know, if we just want to talk about specialists too, Nash Griffin should return. Delaney should return for their fifth years. Great. So Delaney was really good this season for field goals. I was and, getting, and extra points. He was. You know, and that tech kick cannot be overstated how right. huge that was. Yep. And honestly, when we brought in Hunter Pearson at kicker, mm-hmm. I really thought Hunter Pearson was going to be a four-year starter at kicker. Yeah. And not really sure what happened to him. He's somewhere buried on the depth chart, but He's Delaney has earned that spot. And it seems like Justin Dunkel is really the second spot there. Mm-hmm. So we're, I think we're in good hands at kicker. Yeah, you know, he Delaney did really well in the short kicks, eight for eight, twenty for twenty nine yards. Had no kicks, one the through nineteen yards, which I thought was interesting. That's good. Uh, Means we're scoring touchdowns or turning the ball over. <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, uh, he he struggled a little bit in the thirty to thirty nine range, eight for eleven, but forty to forty nine range, he was four of five. So he's got he's got a big leg, and he um, loves the limelight. I, I think he loves the spotlight. I think he does better under pressure. And that tech kick was incredible. He did miss two extra points this season. Um, Virginia Tech and Florida State, right? I think so. Yeah. I think so. Yes, 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 yes. Because both games were... It was bad. It was bad. (laughs) It was super bad. Yeah, Nash Griffin, also a great returning specialist. He had great punts this season. Uh, Had one in the Orange Bowl that went over 70 yards, but ended up only being 50 because of the touchback situation. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited to see him come back next year too. So hopefully our special teams will be just, just as good next year. Kemp will be back at punt returner. And then, uh, you know, we saw briefly out of Tavares Kelly and Seneca Millage. Mm-hmm. God, I hope they find a way to use Seneca Millage next year. And he kept his redshirt as well. So he'll be a redshirt freshman next year. But, mm-hmm. you know, you lose a Joe Reed, but it seems like we've got a great scheme with Brumfield back there. Yeah. And we've got guys that are fast and elusive that can really contribute and hopefully take over um not too far behind where joe reed left off so the future looks bright or not as bright future looks bright defensively special teams offense offense is going to be dramatically different next year and you know you even look at this year what games if we don't have if brennan armstrong plays the whole year this year instead of bryce perkins do we beat virginia tech 
I don't know. Do we, we, beat, do we Florida beat Florida State? State? Probably not. Do we beat UNC? I don't think so. So, you know, just off the top of my head, that's three games that, you know, maybe we're talking about six and six instead of nine and three regular season. But also, so, do we beat Miami? Do we beat Louisville? Yeah, you know, those are like some games where Bryce didn't play as well. And, Liberty? Yeah, and the offense is going to be really different. And, yep. you know, it's going to look a lot more like the BYU offenses with Taysom Hill and, you know, maybe even Tanner Mangum is a better comparison because Brennan just isn't as dynamic and as fast as a Taysom Hill was. Not to say he can't be effective because I think he can be a very effective passer. You know, he's going to be more of the Sam Ellinger type mold, you know, where he's not getting these 20 plus yards run, but maybe he can get eight, 10 yards here and there. And that's more effective than Wayne Talapapa was this year. So I think, I think the important thing to think about going into next year is not what is that we, this team has become consistent which is great for a fan because we don't have to wonder, you know, are we going to go, you know, eight and eight and whatever, or two and 10. And I think it's nice to know that we have a shot every year to make a good bowl game and that this coaching staff is going to put the players in the great positions. We've got good players. Now we Broncos getting his recruits in and, you know, it'll be his fifth year. So it's really the turning point for the program. It's like, all right, you've got, you've cycled out all the other guys. And, you know, it seems like his coaching staff is going to stay intact. We'll see if Anai actually retires or not. There was rumors about that. But at this point, I don't think I want him to retire. That's, yeah. And that's weird to say because, you know, midway through the year after Miami, I know you wanted him gone. I was, I also wanted him gone. And now, it seems like oh he might know what he's doing. So <laughs> I think I think I think going into the next year, the important thing is that we will be a good team next year, and we just will have to see what the offense looks like. Kind of like with basketball this year. Yeah, it's like we knew we were going to be good. We just didn't know what the offense is going to look like. <laughs> and hopefully, the offense is better than our basketball team's offense. And we're going to move talking to basketball in just a sec. But Rob, do you have anything else you want to say about football in this football season? Yeah, I guess two things, both on what you just said. One would be absolutely the consistency. You know, I don't know if this unbroken growth thing will hold. It probably won't. I don't think next year's team goes 9-3 and three regular season. But this is still a bold team next season. Mm-hmm. You know, the expectations are there. And, you know, the, the standard, if you want to call it that, like the team does, you know, this is at an entirely different level of a program where Mike London ever had it. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is exactly what you said about my, or uh, about Bronco Mendenhall bringing in his guys. This is going to be a really interesting recruiting class to watch, and it's really going to unfold over you know probably the next six months or so, um, this upcoming uh, class, because this is going to be a big class that's coming up. And you mm-hmm. know it's just the way the numbers work out. This one that we just signed is relatively small. I think it's at 13 players right now. Might mm-hmm. have one or two um, additional ones come in. But... You know, next year's class is going to be really big, and it's part, it's really the fact of the attrition that Bronco Mendenhall had at the beginning of his tenure, where players that were committed to Mike London decommitted when Bronco Mendenhall came. You know, you get people transferring out. By default, you get this big class coming in. That big class is going to graduate. I mean, we talk about the guys that are going to be seniors next year. Our entire two deep at safety is graduating next Mm -hmm. year. There's going to be a lot of openings coming up in that class, and, you know, coming off a nine and three regular season. Orange Bowl, where we played respectfully, where we beat Tech, it's going to be really interesting to see what dynamics play out over the next few months on the mm-hmm. recruiting trail, because you would think there's going to be a lot of momentum, and to Bronco Mendenhall's credit, the um, rating of each one of his classes has increased each year. Mm-hmm. I'm really curious to see where this class is going to end up. I think it can be fun to watch. Yeah. All right. Well, it's been a fun football season. You ready yes. to wait a little bit? I wish Are it you was ready? year-round. Are you ready for basketball season? I'm more ready after yesterday's game against <laughs> Rob, Virginia Tech. Rob texted me yesterday before the uh, today's Sunday, but he texted me before the Tech game, and he was like, "I'm I'm a little bit nervous, but not super nervous because I'm not totally ready for basketball season <laughs> yet." And I said, "That's okay." I said, "That's okay." I'm I'm excited for both of it, for all of it. But speaking of basketball, you want to hop in? Let's do it, man. All right. So our most recent game was against Virginia Tech. It was on Saturday and the Hoos pulled out a really great win, 65 to 39 over our in-state rivals. This was 
I think, the best game that we've played all year against a really kind of hot tech team that a lot of people didn't expect to be this good. And I, I, I was included. I, th- I really thought tech would be at the bottom of the ACC. They're one and two right now, but they've definitely already exceeded my expectations for what kind of team they are. And what was, Rob, you watched the whole game, right? Mm-hmm. I was unable to. I, I watched a lot of highlights, and I've been looking at the box score a lot. But what was one thing that stood out to you in this game against Tech? I would say consistency is probably the biggest thing, mm-hmm. you know, and I wasn't able to watch the Navy game, the game before, where there right. were a lot of ups and downs in that game. Yeah. But this game kind of reminded me of what we were more used to, the Virginia basketball, the past few seasons. Mm-hmm. And, you know, not the DeAndre Hunter, Ty Jerome, Kyle Guy, where, you know, we have terrific players on the floor. You know, it wasn't quite that mold. You know, Mamadi Diakite, who's probably still our best NBA prospect, still looked a little lost out there. Mm-hmm. But as far as team cohesion, as far as, you know, hitting shots you know we weren't lining it up from three but we were more consistent casey morcell hit some threes 33 side hit some threes you know they each hit one okay well braxton hit two braxton hit two and braxton key finally looked closer at least as healthy as we have seen him since he was injured so to me it was more the consistency thing and you know i forget what the exact year was but it was you know the first time virginia tech had failed to score 40 points in a game since like I want to say 1967. It was like 68 or 67. It was, it was yeah. It's been a long time. So consistency, you know, that was a big thing with me. What about you? Yeah, I, I like to see Kihei score. Um, yeah. I thought he did a really good job of using his size and his quickness to his advantage. Uh, he had six assists to four turnovers, so he's still kind of got a turnover problem this season, but I think that's to be expected after the three other guards that he played alongside went to the NBA. And I think that when you have that kind of exodus of talent to the NBA, your point guard who was kind of in charge of that team, he's got to do more with less. Like he's in charge of more and he's also, but he's got less talent around him to help him out. So while Kihei has had some turnover problems this season, you know, it hasn't been really egregious. And he had a two-game span where it was bad, but yeah, six assists to four turnovers is great. 18 points on a, you know, five of nine shooting is really good. One of two from three. Uh, that one three that he took from the top of the key looks really solid, and he had, he had actually had a nice arc to it. His shot looks a lot better than it did last season. It was also great to see Braxton Key be more consistent with his own shot you know Braxton Key was eight of 12 from the field two of four from three six of eight from the two he was really able to make some shots close to the basket that were difficult that last season he was not making and you know that was something over the offseason that we talked about but it was it was get can Braxton Key be more consistent with his field goal making and his layups and shooting around the basket and it seems like he has done that as well yeah I mean Braxton Key was obviously a huge part and you know to those people out there who subscribe to The Athletic I love The Athletic um, you know Eamon Brennan who covers a lot of UVA basketball games his whole article is about Braxton Key and about how mm-hmm. Braxton Key is bringing a different dynamic to this team and you know, it's really a stabilizing factor because with Mamadi, we've seen a lot of ups and downs. Yeah. Braxton's consistent. He gets his rebound. You know, he's really kind of emerging as a leader a little bit. Last year, he was an upperclassman, but a transfer, kind of adjusting into a new system. This year, you know, hopefully that's something that can continue and, you know, hopefully escalate this team as we kind of get deeper into ACC play, which really looks like a very weak ACC. Yeah, it does. This is not the ACC we're used to. No, we can talk about that later. But I think, uh, going back to Braxton Key, I think he did a really good job of locking down Landers Noli, who really was the only tech player who was doing anything yesterday. Landers Noli ended up with 18 points with five rebounds, but he had five turnovers as well. And I think Braxton Key did a really good job of hounding him, really staying on him. And this was the toughest matchup that that freshman has ever faced and might face all season, you know, against a team that has Braxton Key. Mommy did a pretty good job guarding him as well, and he still made shots. Like, he's he's really talented. Uh, I'm not looking forward to playing him 
if he sticks around in a couple of years or so when this tech team gets really good. However, you know, Braxton Key is the kind of the cog for this team. It seems that, you know, when he was out for that Purdue game, it was bad. It was really awful. Our defense looked off. Our offense looked off. And now that he's back, even with the cast on his hand, he he is making this team a lot better in so many different ways. And it's really exciting to see him do that and, you know, become the leader that everyone kind of expected him to be when he first got here. And I'm glad that he's been able to do that for so long. Yeah, an important thing with uh, Noli too, is that he of his 18 points, 15 came in the first half. Mm-hmm. He only had three second-half points. Yeah. They showed the stat on the game. You know, Tech scored 17 points in the first half, and 15 came from Noli. Yeah. So it's kind of crazy, you know, how really we were able to lock the whole team down with the exception of him in the first half, and then really locked him down in the second half, and that played a big role. And, and you know, Virginia does this to teams where they – where if a team has a one really good player, that player will often do really well against Virginia, against UVA. I, the one I think of all the time is uh, Jaron Blossom game from mm-hmm. Clemson. Uh, he There was several games over the course of his career where he just lit us up, but he was really the only one doing that. Like He would mm-hmm. score 30 points, and Clemson overall would score 40, and we would still kill them, but he would just dominate the whole game. And that's kind of what uh, Noli did. You know, he had 18 points, Tekken only ended up with 39. So he scored over half their points. Or not, no, that's not true. But he scored close to half their yeah. points. And, you know, that doesn't work. And I think that's kind of a model that Tony likes to do is, you know, we're going to let him, we're going to guard him as close as we can. We're going to let him get his, but we're also going to make sure no one else scores. And I think that Tony's okay with that kind of model. We're just being like, okay, this guy's going to shoot us up. Kind of like Anthony Lamb this season. Anthony Mm -hmm. Lamb was getting his shots. Uh, He was being guarded really well, but he was still getting his shots. But everyone else on that Vermont team really was not doing much that game. So I think this is a model that we've seen a lot. Um, Anything concerning from the Tech game? Any, any, or not just the Tech game, but any, any games in the past, like the Navy game as well. I don't know if it's really concerning, but a kind of a trend, and I talked about consistency to start. Um, a lot of it came, I think, because we were playing a lot of the same five guys, our starters, this mm-hmm. game. And, you know, Tech is a smaller team, probably smaller than a lot of them will face this season. So, you know, not seeing some guys, for example, Kafaro play, you know, that's probably going to change based on matchups, kind of as we saw, you mm-hmm. know, Jack Salt usage last year. But, I did think it was interesting, you know, all of our starters played at least 32 minutes yesterday, with Casey mm-hmm. Morsell playing 32 the fewest. And um, Braxton played 32 as well. Yeah, but you look at guys who didn't play as much as we're used to, you know, a Jay Huff, 12 minutes, and a Wolde Tensai, 11 minutes. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, we're always looking at lineups, and this lineup still isn't set. We're still jumping around with starting lineups, and, um, you know, we'll we'll see how it continues to play out. Um, but interesting, Jay Huff only played 12 minutes. Also, you know, Mamadi Diakite, six points, uh, three of nine from the field. You know, he had 10 boards, which was great. But, you know, I really think if this team wants to reach its potential, we're going to need more probably from at least Mamadi, if not Jay as well. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, let's do our Jay Huff segment. I think, this, I think it's time. And, you know, over the past two games, Jay Huff, or really, I'm going to say over the past five games, uh, Jay Huff has kind of, uh, been not as great you know so our last five games have been north carolina stony brook south carolina navy and virginia tech uh with that north carolina game he had zero points uh against what we now know is a bad north carolina really team. bad and that georgia tech thing was ugly yeah it was really ugly and he was o- over four from the field only played 14 minutes and he had five he did have five rebounds against a really good rebounding team but I think we're realizing that Jay Huff's going to be different than what we thought at the beginning of the season. You know, a lot, uh, me included, and I, I'm sure you thought this as well, but he, we'd use him a lot in pick and roll. We do use him a lot in that, but also we use him down low in the post just a lot more than I originally thought we would. That's not really his strength, per se. He's a lot more mobile than that, especially on the offensive end. However, he's uh, been doing a little bit of pick and roll, but not a ton. Um which I find interesting. Stony Brook, he had a good game. He had 12 points. 
on a really good shooting night, five of nine, or sorry, five of ten from the field. But the next three games, six against South Carolina, uh, where he played well but didn't play a lot, I think because of a matchup issue with South Carolina. Navy had nine points against a pretty small Navy team, uh, shot well from there, and then against Virginia Tech, two points on only two shots. So three fouls as well. I think that we're starting to realize that Jay Huff is just going to be a very situational player and that Tony's still not willing to sacrifice defensive integrity for offense, mm-hmm. which is what we, we were getting. Because on the defensive end, you know, Jay Huff had a great block yesterday um, or he rose up, but a lot of the time Tech was going really small. Landers Noli was often the tallest player that Tech was facing and Braxton was guarding him. Jay was definitely not going to guard Landers Noli. So it really didn't make sense for Jay to play that much. And I think we're going to still find that through the season, Jay Huff is not going to play if the matchup dictates it. Yeah, and you know, only four starts on the year. And mm-hmm. the question kind of coming into the season was, how does Tony Bennett create an offense that really funnels through the bigs? I think the answer is that so far, he's probably not. Yeah. It's going to be a similar type of offense where, to what we've seen previously, mm-hmm. where you know it's really more on the guards. And you know, Jay Huff obviously doesn't fit the mover blocker well. And, you know, we're running some, you know, continuity ball screen concepts, but, you know, that's not, we're not, that's not our bread and butter still. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're just, we thought this offense might change to really highlight Mamadi and Jay, and it It really hasn't. It hasn't, which which is surprising. But, you know, at the same time, it hasn't really, I mean, we have laid some eggs this season, you know, Purdue and South Carolina especially. Also, I mean, Navy was a weird game, but we played well offensively. I think that you know it's it's weird how this this team and Tony especially staying really consistent with how he coaches offense and how he wants his players to play. He's not going to change the the way he plays offense just because of his players. He's going to try and change some things for sure, but the offense the the principles have stayed the same, which is very interesting. Yeah, and, you know, it's good to know moving forward. It's kind of, you know, we're 10 years into the Tony Bennett era, but we thought, you know, not that Tony Bennett hasn't adapted, but he clearly has his styles. And we were kind of curious, you know, how would that change this season? And really hasn't changed that much. You know, there's little tweaks here and there to better fit the personnel. But, you know, to the extent we have something like this moving forward, where in a couple of years we kind of have a mass exodus of players and we're wondering, you know, how much will it change? I think we really know kind of what this Virginia team is. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's one thing at least I've really learned this year is that while Tony Bennett can adapt and will adapt as needed, you know, we're not seeing wholesale changes. You know, the system is there and it works. And, you know, that's that's Virginia basketball. Yeah. And I I love it. A couple of notes on Jay Huff, too. Uh, Shooting 70 percent from uh, inside the arc this season. Really good. Really good percentage for him. That's one of the best in the country. Um, not shooting as well from outside. Not shooting as well. Do you yeah. know? Do you know his his shooting percentage from three? I don't know. It is thirty percent, thirty percent, which is not bad. I yeah. mean, considering how bad the rest of the team is at shooting. But uh, six of twenty on the year, not a great percentage, you know, for what we thought he was going to be doing this season. I was also curious whether or not he would switch up you know, just the spots where he takes threes mm-hmm. last year was probably 90 plus percent from the top of the arc. Mm-hmm. And that's still generally where most of his threes are coming yeah, from. Yeah, that's what it feels like. Hasn't made a three in conference play, although we've only played three opponents. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, looking for moving forward, I think it's going to be interesting how much Jay Huff is used, especially in games against teams that have big players. You know, I'm thinking North Carolina. I'm thinking uh, a, a Syracuse coming back to town. Yep. Duke especially with Vernon Carey, who's just a massive person. And it'll be interesting to see when Jay Huff is used and how he's used. And if it, you know, does his role change over the course of the season? I know Tony really changed the offense kind of around ACC playtime when he realized he needed to use um, DeAndre in a different way just because of how versatile he was. And that's really when we started, you know, against Duke, we did a lot of solo ISO stuff, which was very strange. And I'm wondering if, you know, as the season's changing and we and Tony's and the staff are realizing, you know, if they have to change something, does that change Jay Huff at all? 
And I think that's going to be something looking forward that we're going to look at. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. And those games too, you know, is it going to be taking advantage of Jay Hoffer? Is it going to be really using Kafaro and kind of mm-hmm. the way we use Jack Solid and yeah. really kind of starting to really get into his potential development down the road? Yeah. So, yeah, there's going to be a lot, obviously a lot to continue watching. I think that Virginia Tech game, though, made me feel more confident about what this team can be with a healthy uh, Braxton Key because, yeah. you know, this is it's not a great year for the ACC. It's looking like, you know, Duke looks pretty good but then you know louisville which was kind of just lost yeah, yeah they lost yesterday to florida state so you know florida state's always kind of in the same spot they're normally in that 15 to 20 range mm-hmm. ranking wise so well, florida state looks like they could be the number two team in the acc this season which you know coming into the season i thought they'd be the fifth team and but i think they'll probably be number two uh louisville still is going to be good however we're not sure you know how good they actually are. They just lost at home, which was a problem for them. And, uh, you know, another team to look for, I think NC State is going to surprise some people. They've, they've looked good so far. Um, Miami's going to be solid. Syracuse will be tough to play. So while the ACC is definitely down this season, you know, like last year we had three number one seeds in the NCAA tournament, Duke, UNC, and Virginia. No, that's wrong, right? I think we had two it was two I'm i think sorry yeah it was the year before we had three yeah i think it was that's the year right before we had three um but yeah we had you know last year you know acc won the national championship of course which was <laughs> uva very nice <laughs> but um but yeah i think it'll be interesting to see how this team plays in a down acc year Agree. Yeah. I agree there's yeah. a lot to continue watching for anything no any, anything else you want to add for basketball not really, man. I'm curious to see how this team will adjust to ACC play, especially with, you know, a young roster, guards, you know, especially uh, Marcel and a Statman mm-hmm. and even Walter Tensai, who haven't really seen ACC play before. Yeah. So it'll, Stat- I'm curious to watch that. Statman looks like he's really settling in really nicely after he had that mystery illness for a little bit. Uh, his length has been very disruptive on the defensive end, which is, you know, a little bit unexpected, I think. I think a lot of people thought he was a little bit, that was his weak spot. Uh, his shooting hasn't been great so far, only shooting around 20% for the for the year, or from three. But uh, he's been getting his, his points. He, got, he had 10 points yesterday. So I'm looking for him to continue to hunt for his shot, and hopefully he finds it, and uh, we'll see what happens with him. Yeah, no, it, it'll be exciting. Is that it? You want to give some yells? Yeah, let's do it, man. Um, I'm going to go ahead and go first just because I want to take the easy one. Make sure you don't take it. <laughs> Bryce Perkins. Yes. Uh, Bryce Perkins, man, to think, you know, that first throw we saw him do against Richmond last year on that first drive uh-huh. where, you know, he threw that pick six to the D lineman. Yeah. And it was, oh, God, like, it, are we back What's to happening? what we used to be? To see him hurdle the guy and throw that touchdown pass to Hassis Dubois in the orange ball, to see him evade that rusher in the pocket and just unlord uncork that dime to Jana over the middle on that last drive. I mean, that was an NFL throw that really most NFL quarterbacks don't make. Um, he was awesome, man. And, you know, it's he broke Sean Moore's uh, program record for total offense. And what David Teal pointed out in this article is like, well, technically, yes, although Sean Moore's bowl game stats don't count towards his career stats, in which case Sean Moore would be just ahead. But regardless, I mean, this guy you know, he brought us to an orange bowl. He brought UVA football to as big of a prominence as we've seen, at least in our lifetimes where we're able to pay attention to football and he was truly a dynamic player. And he was everything this program could have asked for as a person, as a player. And he's awesome, man. We're going to miss him. Yeah, no, for sure. That's a great one. I'm going to give my shout out to all the refs out there who have a (laughs) tough job. Uh, I'm, as a Saints fan, you know, I feel that refs have discriminated against me for a long time. And I feel like as a UVA fan, we get discriminated against as well. Uh, Teddy Valentine helped me realize that again yesterday. He TV Teddy came to play. Uh, however, I know refs have a tough job, although they should have called the fumble and the Orange Bowl in our favor. And I just think that uh, they hate us, which is too bad. <laughs> and... Uh, I joke about refs a lot on Twitter, you know, like ban refs and refs suck and 
refs make all the bad calls. But refs do have a tough job. And um, shout out to all the refs out there who take a lot of heat during this time, especially during the NFL playoffs, the all the bowl games happening, and uh, some important college basketball games coming up too. So that was good, deep, man. Good job, refs. That was deep. Yeah, I just random aside before you wrap it up. I love. I forget where it was. It was like two weeks ago. But the guys like wearing the blind refs, like with uh-huh. the sticks and everything, poking around. Oh, it was in, it was in New Orleans. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah, the I New Orleans they always dress up. <laughs> now they do. <laughs> now they dress up as the blind refs because I feel like we've been screwed out a couple times this year. I'm not gonna say any specific games, but against the Rams, um, it was <laughs> two years in a row, it's been bad. So anyway, I think that's it for us today. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the Guys and Ties podcast. Dustin and Rob back. Happy to be here in the new year. We're going to try and be a little bit more consistent. December is always weird because we've got, you know, family stuff going on. So hopefully y'all didn't miss us too much. But we will be hopefully doing a little bit more regular recording now that, you know, the holidays are mostly over. So hopefully that's good. And uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter at guys and ties pod make sure to follow us on instagram and snapchat if you want some you know bonus content it's always great always great bonus content in the in the snapchat and instagram also make sure to follow us on itunes and spotify if you like hearing our voices and want to keep hearing what we have to say and we will see you guys next week go who's happy new year go who's when when beat boston college